Okay, folks, so here's the show. Heroes and howlers, and the rest is history. My name's Mikey Robbins. I'm a bit of a history nerd, but my mate Paul Wilson... Hi, everybody. Paul's a proper historian, all the way from Oxford. Thank you, Maggie. Okay, it's about those weird bits of history, the bizarre twists of fate. The cock-ups actually made the (laughs) stuff-ups that have made the world what it is today. Okay, folks, uh, Mikey and Paul here. Look, you probably know by now, we've got a bit of a penchant for explorers. That's right. But today we're going to take a, a look at a... A different sort of explorer. But Very special kind of explorer, isn't it, Mikey? And, and ones we actually love. I'm talking about those brave explorers who went out and didn't come didn't back. Didn't come back. <laughs> now, uh, it's one we forget, because we would like to think that Magellan yes. you know, went around the world. The well, First man to go around the world, except... He didn't come back. <laughs> he didn't make it, did he? He made it as far as the Philippines That's and right. then got involved in an intertribal war, which does not ever end well for a <laughs> colonialist. And he died. But the day he was killed in the Philippines, it's still a national heavy drinking holiday. Oh, is it? Uh, I sp- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a big so they were, were they big fans of Magellan? Or? No. No, mate. No, 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 still no, aren't. Yeah, in, in fact, uh, along, uh, along with Magellan's crew, not big fans of the man. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking with your background, we're talking about... Well, I was going to say, yeah, the big one, Scott. Antarctic, isn't it? You know, brave old Captain Oates for me. I'm just stepping um, out for some time. <laughs> but and I was thinking with you, Mike, with, with the Australia, I was going to say, yeah. you know, Captain Cook Hawaii. But of course, yeah, you'll just tell me he was a he was a Brit in disguise anyway. He wasn't really Australian. And also, uh, too, like Magellan, got involved in a uh, tribal war he had no place being involved in. That's right. And it did not end well. No, actually, mate, being, being Australian, the story I want to focus on this episode, it is something we're all brought up on as kids. Mm-hmm. The Dig Tree. Ah, oh, yes. And Wills. And Wills, yes. Yeah, I've seen that movie, in fact, mate. Mate, it's been a movie. It's some of our greatest paintings. There's right. been yeah. some awful folk songs written about it. And to give our listeners an idea here, Mikey, I think it's fair to say that in Australia, you know, Burke and Wills, they're up there with Lewis and Clark in terms of intrepid explorers, except... Except for the cock-up <laughs> that became the dig tree. Right, yeah, but usually that's portrayed more as like the, the cruel and capricious Lady Luck befalling... Romantic heroes, isn't it? But what you're ah, saying is... Ah, that's yeah. the thing. Everyone concentrates on the tragic end. Yeah. But my theory is, my challenge to the history books, the Birkenwells expedition was tragic, not just from the beginning, but before it even got started. Before it got started. It, right. was, it, was, a, it, was, mate, it was a stuff up from conception to not coming back home again. Can I just jump in here, Mikey, with a bit of background? Sure, mate. Background away. We're now in the what, mid-19th century, aren't we? And, yeah. and basically... At that time, folks, there were two massive blanks, if you like, on the imperial maps, you know, in, in all those map rooms around the world. You had the heart of Africa. The heart you know, of darkness. The heart of darkness, yeah. And then, you know, particularly for Imperial Britain, it was that ghastly blank, you know, the outback of yeah. Australia. And in fact, ghastly blank was what they called it. So, you know, saying that no one knew it was there. Let's not forget that people have been living there for yeah, 60,000 years. Quite a few Aborigines and yeah. Indigenous knew exactly where, where it was. But it, today we call it the Red Centre, don't we, Maggie? Yeah, but, yeah. But, but back then it really was a, a void. Yeah, well, people didn't know what was there for years. There were theories of an inland sea. <laughs> no, no, Australia had been determined to explore from coast to coast in particular. Now, you have to remember, like, you know, from Sydney they're heading west since 1813, Blacks and Wentworth and Lawson, who head up the Parramatta Road. That's yeah, They'd gone west out of, out of Sydney, but by this stage, by the 1850s, all eyes are turning to that north-south crossing, weren't yep. they, mate? Yeah, yep. Because if you look at those 
if you, if you don't mind. Oh, it's map uh, time. Map time. I yeah. can feel a map coming on. <laughs> if, you, okay, if you look at one of those maps from the early days, they're very, very interesting. Take this one, for example, Mikey, from 1827. Another frame one, mate. So nice of you to bring it in from your home bathroom. <laughs> All right. But it is pretty fascinating, Mikey, yeah. isn't it? Because you can see here, yeah, the coastline is very accurate, you know, very detailed, looking pretty much as maps of Australia look today. Well, that's thanks know. to the Flinders expedition. Yeah, that's right, Matthew Flinders, yeah, the English sailor and the first man to navigate and circumnavigate the whole of the Australian continent. But then, yeah. down, down the middle, you've got this solid black line dividing the entire continent in two. And on this side, the, the left-hand side, it doesn't say Australia or even Terra Australis. It says... New, New Holland. New Holland, right. Because no matter what we <laughs> Brits like to think about it, Captain Cook, not only did he not discover... Australia. <laughs> because generations of indigenous people have been living here for thousands, tens of thousands of years. Right. So not only were the Brits no discoverers, in European terms, they weren't even the first ones to land either. Because that was actually Abel Tasman and the Dutch. That's right. The Dutch had got there well over 100 years before them. Yeah. So this western half, even mm. though there'd been no attempts to settle it, this western half, New Holland, had been named as the, the twin sister, if you like, for the other Dutch so-called discovery, New Zealand. Yeah, Zealand and Holland being the two major provinces in the Netherlands. Hey, you see, folks, that's what an Oxford education gets you. <laughs> right. Well, there you go. And on the right-hand side, it's the whole whole of the right-hand side is just one New South Wales, which... And, yeah, it always and, strikes me as bizarre because Cook calls us New South Wales, right? Now, I've been to Wales once as a kid. I'm assuming you've been to Wales quite a few times. Well, that's it, Mikey. Every time I go home... But, People always say to me, why is it called New South Wales? We've seen the pictures of Bondi Beach. It doesn't really look... No, no, no. no. <laughs> Seriously, you don't see Dylan Thomas at Maroubra. Exactly. And there was a story... Is it, Anna, you t- you'll know this better than me, uh-huh. but there's a story... Cook himself actually wanted to originally call it just New Wales. Exactly. Yeah. And, and then they had a look at some of the drawings that were done by, by people on the Endeavour expedition. Yeah. And they went, it looks nothing like Wales. He went, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's not dark and bleak and Snowdonia. No, no, no. Oh, oh it's New South, South Wales. Yeah, Cook that, must have been that, up all night coming up the with Garrett the Garrett Peninsula. <laughs> Okay, folks, we're back in the mid-19th century for today's episode. We're talking about the push to explore the harsh interior of the Australian continent. And the race that would culminate in the tragedy that was the Birkenwells expedition. Right. An expedition which in many ways came about because of one of the key inventions of the period, the telegraph. That's right, because the telegraph... So British Empire had got the telegraph going all over the world, but at the time it stopped in terms of going south, down into the southern hemisphere, it stopped... In India. Yeah. Uh, and so the big thing down in Australia was who's going to be in charge of the telegraph and which way is it going to go? Because obviously coming from India, there's a big gap across the Indian Ocean. Yeah. Is it going to keep going around the coast? Is it going to go by the sea? Or can they organise a direct route straight across the land. And this is basically the 19th century version of running Australia's Wi-Fi hotspot. <laughs> so everyone wants it. But the, NBN. Well, yeah, exactly. But there's, a, there's another real reason as well, mate. Right. Um, this is particularly when it comes to Burke and Wells. Yeah. We're talking good old-fashioned intercity, interstate as it becomes, rivalry. Sure. Melbourne wants to stick it to Sydney. Right, and for those of you who don't know, folks, Melbourne basically always wants to stick it to Sydney. It's, um, it's what Melbourne does best. And, and Sydney's, the, Sydney's gotten used to it. And it's, it's a weird one because, you know, Sydney sometimes you know, is seen as like this sort of brash upstart, but of course it 
with the first fleet, 1788, you know, it was the main headquarters for Australia for a long, long time. I think Victoria didn't even, the state of Victoria didn't come along to what, 1851? Well, well, it's pretty much on They the... tried Melbourne and then they, they, they left again because they didn't yeah, like it the first time. Exactly, and... but, but they're starting to find gold around mm. the Ballarat area. Sure. And that money is turning Melbourne into a real city. Right. But you're right. Whereas today is it seen that, you know, Sydney's sort of brash and superficial mm. and Melbourne's, you know, a bit more establishment and, and, and Marvellous Melbourne. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, but. Second city of the empire and all that stuff, yeah. Back, in, back in then. Back in the 1850s. No. No, Sydney's seen as the establishment and yeah. Melbourne's the new bright up and coming city. It's the on the go city. Right. And it's also because hmm. it's got the, the other one it wants to stick to as well. You, Mikey talks about these state rivalries. Mm. And you got, <laughs> if it's one thing you, you hate more than Sydney, wasn't it? You hated Adelaide. Is yeah, it? Yeah, but, but, well, let's face it, it's not just a Melbourneian thing. Hi, Adelaide. How's it going? There's an old saying if you're ever going to Adelaide, never take a dump in the morning. So you've got something to do at night. Ooh, oh, I, 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 I love Adelaide. Right. But there was a thing because a lot of exploration was coming out of Adelaide. That's right. Because South, South Australia had been founded, what, 1836? And also, too, founded by, by free settlers. No, free no, settlers, and they, that's right. Adelaide do love to remind you about that. And they had some of the great explorers. Yeah, um, Charles Sturt had come out from Sydney, but he was doing a lot of stuff with the Murray Darling, yeah. and then he was pushing up. But Adelaide, they've got their own rival hotshot guy, Stuart. Stuart. Yeah, like this Stuart is all, this, Sturt, I always get mixed this up. This is always tough learning hist Australian history in the school. <laughs> yeah. Because you had Stuart and Sturt going around at the same time. So Melbourne's looking at the Stuarts, the Sturts, yeah. all the expeditions. They go, right, we need our own expedition. Our turn. It's our turn. We need someone to carry the fight for Victoria. We need someone to put Melbourne on the map. And hopefully try and find a route for the telegraph line yeah. at the same time. So the telegraph line will come to Melbourne yeah. rather than come to Adelaide. Is that right? Yeah. So the idea is that they're going to head up to the Gulf of Carpentaria. Now, right. um, Ooh, this is where, I, yeah, okay, tough to start with, but yeah. here, here's where it goes pear-shaped from okay. the beginning. So instead of just, you know, finding a great explorer, Melbourne does what, you know, what public service does best. Mm -hmm. They get a committee going. Oh dear, yes. Yeah. So the old committee, if you're inventing a, a, a horse and the committee you know, comes up with a camel or something, isn't it? No, 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 camels could be useful for this trip. The, the, the old saying is, a camel is a horse designed by a committee. There you go. And in fact, it's good that you mentioned camels. We'll get to them in a second. I knew camels going to come yeah, into Yeah, camels this. do come into this. But we're going to start with the person they chose to be the leader of the expedition. Because you see, Paulie, there are all manner of famous explorers that they could have chosen. Every great explorer and his dog was putting their hand up to have a go. But... But instead, this nitpicky committee of nobodies... They chose... They chose a complete dropkick. <laughs> a local cop. Just because he was in with the powers that be. Ah, so it's a stitch-up, a backhanded job for the boys. 100%, mate. They chose this bloke. And it's a name that has gone down in history. <laughs> they chose Robert O'Hara Burke. Robert O'Hara. Burke. Now that might not ring everyone's bell for those listeners outside of Australia, but ask all your Aussie mates, I promise you, they'll tell you this Burke fellow, he's a dead set good'un uh, and usually well worth a place in our series of heroes. But what you're saying, Mikey, is that he should have gone down as a howler. Right, just listen to this from a contemporary's notes describing Burke's personality. Okay. He was a stickler for military discipline and procedure, but notoriously slovenly and eccentric in his personal life. Not a good combination. Gets better. <laughs> he was moody, impulsive, and liable to emotional outbursts when he felt his authority threatened. Ooh. So, for some reason, because Burke is, is well-connected, and also, too, he's got a bit of a reputation for being a hard taskmaster, which goes hard back... Hard-nosed policeman. Yeah. Which goes back to his days on the goldfields, where he was like the right. scourge of the diggers, quite frankly. Okay, gotcha. So, he gets the gig... And then we get the second in command. So Wills is much better. No. See, here's the thing. Wills was never the second in command at the start. 
We'll right. get to them later. <laughs> okay. Now, now, the second in command at the start of the exhibition yeah. was a bloke who history's forgotten, George James Landells. George J- I've never heard of George James Landells. Sorry, well, mate. you will a bit in a moment, mate. And this brings <laughs> us back to we mentioned camels before. Right. Landells had been basically working for um, the East India Company. Right. And he was in India. Yeah. And he was an expert with camels. You know? Right, yeah, yeah. And it was decided that camels would be the ships of the desert for this expedition. Right. So he's in charge of the camels. Now, he, that he, bit I did know, because they brought all the Afghan and the Indian camels yeah. down, didn't they? Yeah. To, exactly. to explore the desert. Yeah. In fact, on my grandfather's side, I'm supposed to have some Afghani camel herder heritage. Mm. There you go. And so, <laughs> why is he running so fast? You don't want to get an ugly camel. <laughs> you know the joke. Anyway, so, so he's in charge of the 24 camels. Yeah. But because of that, he's also in charge of all the livestock. And even though he's second in charge of the expedition, mm. because he's the expert at the camels and no one else is, he's getting paid more than Burke. Mm. So Burke is That's all- never going to... Go down well, is it? No. Burke is already ticked off before the expedition (laughs) starts. And he's a man who likes to be in a bad mood anyway. Right. So Burke and Landell's, this new expedition, isn't going to go... Who's Wills then? Okay, Wills is third in charge. And quite Ah, frankly, Wills is a good call. Okay. He's actually a qualified surveyor, which you think would be a good thing on on an expedition. Yeah. And also to quite a handy DIY surgeon, Mm. which once again is going to be useful. Okay, so here we are, folks. We're in 1860. It's August 18th. And we are starting off on the ill-fated Burke and Wills or Landells expedition across Australia from south to north in the hope of finding a route that the telegraph line will be able to run down to make Melbourne you know, the greatest city in the country. And also to find as much pastoral land and gold. And gold land, and, 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 and seas and whatever they can. So it's August. Crocodiles. Exactly. August 20th, 1860. Yep. yep. 15,000 Melburnians have assembled in the park to cheer off. The That's tw- about half the city. <laughs> in those days, it, 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 was, it was a fair whack of the city. Yeah. Let's face it, Melbourne does like going to events more than Sydney does because Sydney's up itself. Right. So 15,000 Melburnians turn off to cheer off the 26 camels because they've imported 24. Yeah. And they, Where's the other two? They managed to borrow them from a local zoo. <laughs> zoo? They just pulled a couple of camels out the zoo. Yeah. Okay, yeah. 23 horses. Right. 19 men, and here's the first mistake, and it doesn't sound like a mistake at the start. Right. A massive supply of dried food stores, dried meats. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? You'd think so, but think about this. You've got meat dried, you've got to carry it. Right, okay. So as opposed to a lot of expeditions... That oh, had, it would have been if they just had live, live sheep or yeah. cattle that would have been and herded them up as they were going. It would have been a lot easier. Well, yeah, think about this. You know, the, the, the Royal Navy used to take live sheep on its ships and slaughter them. Yeah, yeah. Because yep. it was easy. It actually makes more sense. It makes a lot more sense, yeah. Got uh, it. Uh, but so also, supplies were, wasn't the strong point. Who was in charge? Was that Wills or Landell's, uh, do you reckon? Well, no, a lot of Burke. <laughs> a lot of okay. Burke because... I'm, 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 Talk me through this supply chain. What I'm about to read you, this is actually from the inventory. Right. They had rockets and flares to set off if they you know, got lost. That's all right. Well, think about it. You're in the middle of the desert. If you're setting off rockets and flares, the only oh, people... Well, who, no one lives. <laughs> and also, to, A, you'll probably start a bushfire. B, the only people who will see them will be indigenous. And they, yeah. well, they'll go... They aren't, aren't going to come and help. Something's happening. Yeah. Um, a travelling barber shop. Oh, yeah, for your whiskers. Yeah. They, they did like the whiskers in the yeah. 1860s, didn't yeah, they? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What they had was basically a travelling barber shop that catered With to... a barber? With a, you know, I'm assuming probably Wills was the surgeon. <laughs> ah, right, okay, yeah. Okay, then, oh, it gets, yeah. Then, it, then it gets weirder. Go on. A six-foot-tall filing cabinet, as you do. 
They're carrying a six foot tall flag. Well, yeah. just in case, yeah, just to keep all the invoices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it would make us a lot of invoices on a trip like that. An oak dining table mm-hmm. with matching oak stools. Let's not. F- I'm glad they're matching. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad they were matching, Maggie. Don't want to be taking any any old stool, do you? And also, let's, you know, let's face it. There are a lot lighter woods than oak if you're going to build a bloody dining table anyway. Jeez. But to make sure they're comfortable, and this was the height of technology at the time, Inf- inflatable cushions. What, what, whoopee cushions? For, well, non, <laughs> non-whoopee whoopee cushions um, to sit and have your dinner with. Right. And probably the greatest waste of space of all, a full-size Chinese dinner, dinner gong. Oh, you're kidding. Well, right. Like the one on the... Uh, yeah, the, the old, old archaeology. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's basically, it's the same oh, dinner's dear. ready. Right, go on. So, so this is leaving... August on the... 20th, 1860. We are leaving... We're getting ready with 15,000 people, you reckon? Yes, and they're waving them, them off. off. And they're waving them and off. And off they go. No, they don't even get out of eyesight. <laughs> Go on. And the first wagon breaks down. Breaks down under the weight of all those needless oak tables and dinner gongs. And right. for the next two days, yeah. the wagons get stuck in the mud because it starts to rain. Okay. And in fact, they didn't leave Melbourne. They didn't leave. So for two days, they don't even leave Melbourne. <laughs> Eventually, they get to the outer suburbs of Melbourne. Okay. So they've lost three wagons, but that's okay. They hit, off they go. They're, they're, they're moving stuff around and yeah. they're repairing as they go. They back then, on the horses, back on the camels. It is raining, and they trudge through. And in two months, they reach Menindi. Menindi? Yes. That's, that's okay, isn't it? Two months, yeah, that, that's quite intrepid. To find the town of Menindi? Yeah. Problem is, someone had already found it before. In <laughs> fact, right. Menindi had been around for ages. It's okay. a lovely town. And it actually had a regular mail coach from Melbourne that took two weeks to get there. But <laughs> so it's they've t- taken two months to get to, get to a town that... Yeah. Loads of people already live in and has a mail service yeah. that only takes yeah, two, two weeks. weeks. Yeah, so it's <laughs> taken them four times as long as the regular stagecoach to get there. Okay. And that's when, you know what, hits the fan for the first time. <laughs> By this stage, Landells has had enough of Burke. I'm not surprised. Yeah. He, he resigns. Oh, resigns. Yep. Ah, so this is why. So he's out. Alandal is out. Yeah. Wills is in. This is when it becomes the real Burke and Wills. Okay. Exactly. But that's not before two officers, like, you know, two officers packing in as well. Okay. And just to make things even more complicated, Burke goes, well, in that case, I'm going to fire 13 blokes. Oh, hang on. So they only had 19 to start. So they're down, they're down to the bare bones. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, and what did Landell say? What did, yeah. Oh, well, this, this is great. By the, time, by the time it takes Landell's to go back to Melbourne, yeah. which didn't take two months, by the way, he writes a report. Mm. This is Landell's report. I'm reading this word for word. And this is quite prescient. The expedition will be attended by the most disastrous results. Mm. His conduct throughout, meaning Burke, has displayed such a want of judgment, candour and decision as to at once destroy my entire confidence and respect. I have on several occasions entertained grave doubts of his sanity. Ooh. He usually carried loaded firearms, and I was fearful that he would use them injudiciously whilst in a passion. See, Ooh. that's not a paragraph you want to put on your CV. No, no, that is, that is tough. So, so Landau's heading back to Melbourne to file that report. He's gone. And, so, and then, well, then the, the most famous part of the journey begins when they strike off to Cooper's Creek. Right, and this so they've got some new guys in, and yeah. and, and I think they pick what is, is, uh, the strongest horses, six or seven of the of the top men, uh, 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 six six camels, and they 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 head off north. 
to the next stop is Cooper's Creek, but, which is as far as Europeans have gotten into the inland. Right. Okay. So that so up until then they yeah. sort of knew what they were doing, or they hoped they knew what they were doing. But, oh yeah, yeah they're, they're basically going through discovered land. Right. But after the Cooper's Creek, it was all new. Everything, yeah. everything from Cooper's Creek is is new land for, for for Europeans. And for people who don't know that Cooper's Creek is about in the middle. Yeah. Everything north of that is either hot. Dusty, swamp, or crocodile infested. Is that, is that about right, Mikey? It's basically the stuff that we tell people like you when they first arrive in a country, what the <laughs> yeah. rest of the country's like. Yeah, lots of drop bears. And, exactly. <laughs> so when they get to Cooper's Creek, and this should have been, this should have been a sign, they set up their first camp and they have to move it because the camp's attacked by a plague of rats. Ooh. So that should be a giveaway. And by now, what? So now we're in it's, the... It's, it's early... It's, it's uh, get spring, it's getting towards summer, it's, it's getting summer. hot. Do they... Well, well Wiseheads Council Berkeley should wait for autumn, you know, and build up supplies again. Yeah, and that makes but, sense. But Robert O'Hara Burke, policeman plod, he, he says, no, we're leaving. We're setting off tomorrow. And I don't care what the weatherman says. Mm. Heads off on the 16th of December into the most disgusting heat he can into a desert. And so that's the middle of summer. So rather than wait till yeah. autumn, he says, no, I'm going to go for it now, middle yeah. of summer, just when it's at its hottest, it's yeah. hardest. Right, okay. Without enough supplies. He yeah. knows, knows he doesn't have enough supplies. Well, you know, people are telling him he doesn't have enough supplies. Yeah. But he goes, no, I'm going to do this. And as most Aussie schoolboys and schoolgirls know... And the rest is history. He does, to be fair, they, he makes it. He does get to the north coast, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. In about February 1861. But well, he never quite cracks the beach, but he gets close enough. Right, yeah, he, he can see water. Yeah. He can see crocodiles. But it, And then there's the monsoon season, is that right? And, oh, yeah. And they've run out of, like you're saying, all their food. They've now got half as much food as they should have had. And, and people start getting dysentery and they've run out of food. And when you run out of food, it is never a good sign for the pack animals. <laughs> Suddenly, camels just go missing. And it's not just the camels, right? Because they leave two of the men. Yeah. Yep, a grand king get left behind. Now, king, of course, is the person who survives. He's the one survivor. Uh, from which we know the, the, the story, of course, you know, the, the dig tree, the second search party misses them by a day. Uh, they come back to the tree and yeah. they, they missed them by a night. Yeah, like but, but, twice they were yeah, complete no. fluke or anti-fluke, wasn't yeah, it? Because yeah, they, they it was, missed each other twice. But, you know, as I said before, look, we all know the story of the dig tree and, and it's tragic. But quite frankly, this expedition was a total up. I almost, it certainly was. It, was. it was a cluster from even before it left Melbourne. But I think what you like about this, Mikey, is the, is the, is the modern repercussions, isn't it? Because, you know, Melbourne, your favourite city. I love uh, Melbourne. <laughs> Melbourne spends the next 50 years in Adelaide's shadow. Adelaide's Stuart expedition is the massive success. Adelaide gets the telegraph lines. Adelaide and Alice Springs get the Garn Railway. And Melburnians, yeah, well, they're less, left scratching their bums for a generation. Although some, not me, not me, <laughs> but some would say it's been downhill for Adelaide ever since. Once again, not me. All yeah. right, so what are we looking at, Mikey? We took it in fluke, cock-up, hand of God. Surely it's got to be catastrophic cock-ups. Yeah. For me, Paulie, we in Australia all know that Burke and Wills ended in disaster at the dig tree. Yeah. But I think we now know that the entire expedition, from the moment of its shambolic inception, was a pathetic, dare I say, inglorious shit show. All right, so that's the end of the show, folks. Uh, any questions or anything we've missed about Burke and Wills or Landells, yeah, please uh, drop us a line. Yeah, but anything about Landells, because we'd like to know more about I that I want to know more about that guy, yeah. <laughs> Drop us a line on all your social media using the handle at and the rest is hist. And the rest is hist. And you can find all that stuff in the show notes. 
Okay, and if you like the podcast, don't forget to like, subscribe and comment, you know, whichever platforms you usually use to listen to your podcasts. Okay, Paul, your turn next. What do you got for us? Well, it's back to my homeland on this one, Mikey. Yeah, remember, remember the 5th of November. Ah, gunpowder, treason and plot. Well, you might think so, mate. At least, you know, that's what they teach at the school. But you might also want to bring with you next week Flowers of Scotland, Kilts and Sporans and a good side helping of Haggis. And I will not do my Scotsman impression. <laughs> no, okay, It's good. worse than Mel Gibson's. All right, go cast you all next week. Mm-hmm.